do, and I want to read a few verses before I read uh, one of my, oh, I forgot to tell you, uh, at Billy Burke's church, there were 11 decisions for the Lord. So that was incredible. And then Sunday morning, I went to uh, my spiritual son and daughter, Scott and Cindy, have birthed a church in Lakeland called Free Life Chapel. I went to the third service, which was noon, and in the noon service, there were about 1,400 people there. So the church has literally just, just has incredibly just blown, blown up. God has blessed them, and, and uh, they are faithful and consistent. And then I came back, spent another day with Dad. And uh, Dad's beard is actually eight inches long. Mom would never let Dad grow hair on his face. He has not shaved since she went to heaven. A year. I'm not exaggerating. It's not, I think they've trimmed it a little bit. But uh, Lemuel Miller sent me uh, an important post that I want to share with you. Okay, it, the, uh, the title or the heading is Super Bowl Tickets. My nephew has two tickets for the 2018 Super Bowl, both box seats. He paid 2500 each ticket, but he didn't realize last year when he bought them, it was going to be the same day of his wedding. If you're interested, he is looking for someone to take his place. Is it St. Ignatius Church, Palm Beach Gardens at 3 p.m.? Her name is Connie. She's five foot six, about 120 pounds. She has her own bass boat and loves to hunt. Good cook, too. She'll be the one in the white dress. <laughs> I thought that was, there's no way I could work at the sermon, but I just thought that was, that was, a, that was a great, a great, uh, and it could possibly be true. You never, you never know. Those rednecks in South Florida, you never know what they're, you never know what they're up to. The title of my message this morning is a little tricky. The significance of being insignificant. The significance of being insignificant. I'll make this story politically correct so that no one gets offended, especially Christine. Now, there was a man, a Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zehor, the son of Barakarak, the son of Aphiah. Aren't you glad we don't name those kids like that today? Hello. A Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. And the donkeys... Of King Saul's of King's of Kish Saul's father were lost. And Kish said to Saul his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and go arise and seek the donkeys. And he passed through Mount Ephraim and passed through the land. Watch this, he's looking for donkeys. Look look at this journey. He passes through Mount Ephraim and passes through the land of Shai, and they found them not. Then they passed through the land of Shalem, and they were not. And he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they come to the land of Zuah, Saul said to the servant that was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father leave caring for the donkeys and take thought for us. In other words, we've been gone a long time. Dad's probably not worried about the donkeys anymore. He's probably worried about us. 
And he said unto him, the servant, Behold now, there in, in, the city, in this city there's a man of God, and he's an honorable man. And all that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither, peradventure, he can show us the way, our way, that we should go. So the servant heard that there was a man of God in the city that they were in and felt like the man of God might be able to tell them where their donkeys went. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here on, in hand the fourth pout, the fourth part of a shekel of silver that I will give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of the Lord, that he spake, Come, let us go to the seer. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. Then said Saul to his servant, Well said, Come, let's go. Look at somebody and say, Well said. Good idea to go to the house of God to find the man of God to take an offering to see if he can find your stuff. Then Saul to, said to his servant, Well said. And come, let us go. So they went up into the city where the man of God was. And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer or the prophet here? And they answered them and said, He is, behold, he is before you. Make haste now, for he came today into the city, for there will be a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. And as soon as he come into the city, Yet you shall straightway find him before he goes up the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice, and afterwards they eat, they eat that be bidden. Now therefore, get you up, for about this time ye shall find him. And they went up into the city, and when they came to the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, do you love that? The Lord told Samuel in his ear, A day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain or king over my people, Israel, that he may save his people, my people, out of the hand of the Philistines, for I have looked upon my people because their cry came unto me. This was the man that God had chosen to lead the people of Israel to prevail over the Philistines that had captured their land. And when Samuel saw, saw, say that fast. So when Samuel saw, saw, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of this same shall, help me now. My Bible is just a little bit smaller than I can see, and I've got 175. So, and when Samuel saw, saw, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake of thee same shall, reign over my people. Then Saul drew up near to Samuel at the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where is the seer's or where is the prophet's house? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the prophet. Go up before me into the high place, for ye shall eat with me today, and on the morrow I will let thee go and will tell thee all that is in thy heart. And as for thy donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Set not thy mind on them, for they are found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and all on thy father's house? I'm almost done. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite, the smallest of the tribes of Israel? 
and my father the least in the families of the tribe of Benjamin, and whereas thou speakest thou to me. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into his parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place, the seat of honor, among them that were hidden, which were about 30 people. And Samuel said unto the Lord, Bring the portion which I gave thee, at which I said unto thee, Set it by thee. Crazy story. Um, I don't know that I've ever used this story as a text or ever used this story uh, as a theme. But uh, as most of you know, the people of Israel have been ruled by the prophets. And uh, they began to uh, regain a lot of the property that God told them they were going to have. And in that regaining, they determined that they wanted a king. They were not happy just having a prophet, a man of God. The other nations had a king, so they wanted the king. So we're in the process now of selecting a king over the people of Israel. And our text tells us that Saul was a, a goodly man. He was a good kid. His heart was right. It was in the right place. And he was also head and shoulders taller than anybody else. And we'll learn later in the story. You know, today to be tall, be a basketball player, that's a good thing. But in that generation, Saul was embarrassed about his height. He was embarrassed that he was the least of the least. The tribe of Benjamin was the smallest of the 12 tribes. But yet God had told Samuel, there's a, there's a kid coming tomorrow, and he's the one I want you to anoint, and he's the one I want you to use as a king. And, of course, when Saul hears this word, he said, I'm the least, I'm insignificant, I'm unimportant. Why would you choose me? And the man of God looks at him and says, I knew you were coming. I knew you'd be here, and I set a portion aside for you. There's 30 at my table I've already fed, but I want you to be at the, at the seat of honor. I've got a portion just for you, and you'll learn later in the story the cook brought out an entire shoulder for Saul to eat. I guess the point that my, my area I would like to go today as we've been looking at bumps in the road, We've been looking at being the potter's house. We've been looking at Gideon, the mighty man of valor, is that God honors people who do the right things consistently. You may, you may feel this morning that you are insignificant. You may feel like you're unimportant. You might be an unwed mother. You might be a single mom. You might be divorced. You may be going through financial tra tragedy. You might be overwhelmed with pornography. You might be messed up with with doubt, discouragement, and depression. But God knew this morning that you would be here. And you're here. And God yesterday ordained a portion just for you. And even though God's already served many and blessed us and touched us, I'm here to tell you this morning that God has reserved a portion just for you. Does that excite anybody in the house to know that God knew that I would be here and I may not be all that important. I may not have all that money. I may not have arrived as, as far as the world is concerned. But God knew that I would be here, and God has a portion for me. In this story, when they got ready to pursue the man of God, Saul said, we don't have a gift. We don't have anything to take to the house of God. And you know, this morning I have learned you cannot buy a miracle, but money tells God where your heart's at. And your generosity, and, and when you come to the house of God and you bring a portion to maintain the things of God, God honors that and God blesses that. 
I remember there was a day when Jesus was watching the offering, and there was a very wealthy man that came to the front and made a big deal about sowing a bunch of money. And then there was a little widow, and all she had was two mite. And that, that two mite is room and board for one day. And that's all she had, and she put that in the offering. And Jesus did not brag on the wealthy guy that did a chunk. Jesus bragged on the girl that did a little, because that little to her was important. And we've been taught it's not the amount of the gift or the size of the gift, but it's the heart of the gift. Uh, about two weeks ago, God prompted me to prove him. Gene, I want you to join me. God prompted me to prove him and to publicly declare to the body the miracles that are taking place financially. And God told me to believe him for 21 miracles in the next 30 days. I believe in the next 30 days someone's going to get a raise. I believe in the next 30 days someone's going to get a promotion. I believe in the next 30 days someone's going to get a job. I believe in the next 30 days someone's going to get something in the mail they weren't expecting. I believe in the next 30 days, now we don't want anybody to die, but maybe someone that, that you don't even know, a, a, a relative is dying of old age, and they're leaving you an inheritance. Wouldn't that be nice if someone you didn't know died and left you? That way you wouldn't be sad because they died and they lived a good do, do you get, do you get my, my drift? I believe God brought you here this morning to set you up. I believe God's got a portion for you that you can't devour in one setting. You're either going to have to give it away or pig out and eat it all by yourself. God always gives us more than we need so we can touch the heart of someone else. And that's what this church has done this week. This church has helped a single mom. This church has helped a family. This church, is, God has used this house to bless people that are not as fortunate as us, and we do it with your gifts, and we do it with your seed. Gene, come and share with me the story when you went to pay a bill yesterday and declared uh, what you were going to do. Kind of take, take a moment there and set that up. Good morning. Well, um, I owed, uh, I think uh, it was like $736 uh, to pay Leela's car off. And... Uh, I told the guy that uh, I had budgeted in my income tax and that I would have um, like about $500 that I was going to pay towards it and just, you know, get it cleared off, um, I guess go for the next one. And um, he said, no, um, just mark the 736 out and um, just give me the five and, um, you know, the car will be paid off for you. So that was like a $236 blessing. Um, you know, just just because, uh, for two reasons, I believe. I believe if you blessed, you'll be blessed. And I also believe that um, when people see um, these people struggling um, times as they are now, and and you're you're making efforts, you're being faithful, and, and you're hanging in there, um, just does something inside of you. It warms your heart, and uh, you, you want to bless also. So that was that was a big thing for us. Awesome. Now, if God did it for Gene, God will do it for us. Uh, this morning, I watched the offering, and every one of Gene's children, with the exception of Samuel, because he's too small to walk and plant, every one of Gene's children touched this offering today. Not only is God teaching him a standard, but Gene is teaching it to his children, and they, in turn, will teach it to their children's children, and it'll create a generation that will be blessed. Every, every day this week, I want you to expect a miracle. I want you to expect a breakthrough. And I want you to text me, call me. I'd, I'd rather talk to you than text, text you. So call me and share your miracle. 
And uh, if you're good, I won't embarrass you like I did Gene because he doesn't embarrass. He's, he's bold for what God is doing in his life. Gene and Leela are faithful in their tithe. They're faithful in the offering. It's the first thing they do when they get their portion. And God blesses faithfulness and God blesses consistency. I want some of you to get a little jealous and say, well, if God did it for Gene, then will God do it for me? If God did it for Gene, will God do it for me? If God did it for Gene, will God do it for me? Yes, he will. But I've learned to win the lottery, you have to buy a ticket. <laughs> so, to, so to reap, you got to sow. Hello. I might encourage you to go buy the lottery. But I'm just telling you, you've got to reap. You've got to sow something in order to reap something. When I think about insignificance in the generation of Hannah and Samuel, um, there was something wrong with a woman that couldn't give birth. It was considered a curse or a negative or she'd made God mad. There was something going on that that, that generation. Now, today, that's not, that doesn't happen today. But in that generation, if you didn't have children and a bunch of them, there was something wrong with you. And there was a young lady by the name of Hannah. And Hannah was married to a guy that had another wife. Uh, go figure. Uh, it's, um, let me say this very carefully. I love the one wife that I have, and she's full-time. I couldn't take on another wife. But that generation, they felt like they could take on another wife. And if you look at the life of uh, Jacob, I think he had about a 11 women, and Solomon had 300 and 700. I don't know how they did it. To me, it's just a full-time job, just Pastor Ron and I, just being husband and wife. But there was some competition. Look at somebody and say there was some competition. And this other, this other girl was a baby mom. I mean, she's spitting them out like popcorn. And Hannah was wondering, why won't God bless me? So at the time of the sacrifice, Hannah went to the house of God, and she went to the altar. Uh, one of the least insignificant, a barren womb, considered a curse. And she went to the altar, and she had prayed and prayed and prayed. She prayed to really see if she really didn't have any more words to say, but her mouth was still moving. I don't know that she was praying in tongues. I don't know, I don't know all about that, but I do know when the prophet, when, when Eli saw Hannah praying, he thought she was drunk. And so he went and he confronted her and rebuked her. And she looked at him and said, no, my Lord, I am not intoxicated, but I want a child. I want a son. And if God gives me a child, I'll give this son to the Lord. The spirit of prophecy came upon Eli. And Eli looked at her and said, this time next year, you will be with child. And you know the story, Hannah birthed uh, Samuel. And then Hannah will go in and birth five more children. But the child that she birthed, Samuel, she gave Samuel to the house and to the things of God. Now, it's not God's will today for you to birth the child and give them to the church. The church can't afford them. A teenager never gets full. They just get tired. They will eat and eat and eat. And so that's, that, that was, say that was then. That's not now. So if you have a child, keep it at your house. You take care of it. You feed it. You raise it up. That's not a burden that I'm willing to take on. Again, I've got four girls in the house, and uh, I'm outnumbered, and I'm trying to keep my head above water. I'm thinking about getting a curling iron so I, too, can have my own electric socket. Instead of sharing it with everybody else, I'm going to start wearing ma mascara that's left all over my counter. Uh, the socks and bra, I probably won't try, but... Uh, when you got four girls in your house, it's a crazy house, and it's a fun house. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade anything for it. But, again, I'm, I'm, I'm maxed out. So I, <laughs> you raise your own kids. I'm not going to be able to help you with that. But I, I think of Hannah. 
I think of Hannah just, just a housewife, just a insignificant, no, no major declarations, no major abilities, no major talents, but she wanted something from God. And Jean, that day, God knew that she would be there. God put the prophet in the right place. The prophet saw her, pray, saw her praying, thought she was drunk, wanted to confront her, and then realized that she wasn't drunk at all, but she had a need from God. And God blessed the prophet to tell the girl, God knew you'd be here today, and he saved a portion just for you. Look at your neighbor and say, God knew you'd be here today and has a portion just for you. When I look at the life of Samuel, Samuel moves in with Eli. Uh, Eli has two sons that are majorly out of order. They're punks. They're uh, gangsters. Uh, they're troublemakers. They have uh, embezzled. Uh, they have disobeyed. They're operating in the things of the world. And so when Hannah brings Samuel to Eli, Eli has another opportunity to raise his son because his, his other sons, were, they, weren't, they weren't healthy. And so we know that Samuel moves in the house of Eli, just a child. And as God begins to use Eli to prepare Samuel, because God knew that Eli wouldn't be around very long, God needed a replacement. I'm not saying there's people in your life that are going to die and you're going to replace, but there are some things in your life that God wants you to have and God wants you to be a part of. I wanted to make that point. And so we know the story. Uh, Samuel was probably about 12 years old, and I know our our, our kids aren't here this morning, but at 12 years of age, Samuel hears somebody call his name. Samuel is so sure that someone called his name, he goes to his adopted father, Eli, and said, Eli said, said what do you want? And Eli said, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't call you, go back to bed. So, so Samuel goes back into the room, God knowing that he had to raise Samuel up because Eli is going to hear a bad report about his sons, and he's going to fall off a wall and he's going to die uh, Eli was obese, and the song Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. That song was, was derived from the fall of Eli. He was sitting on a wall, and when they came and told him that his sons had been killed and the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, he was so overwhelmed with grief that he fell off the wall and he died. The point I'd like to make in that story, all the king's horse and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again, but the king could have. If Eli, if Eli would have went to God and repented, and repented for his sons, God could have turned that household around, and those sons could have been healthy. I'm here to tell you this morning, don't ever give up on your children. Don't ever give up on what God has blessed you with, no matter what they seem to be going through. There was a window in my life from the age of 18 to 24 that I was rebellious I was pursuing the things of the world. I was not following the purpose and the plan of God. And I, was all get, you know, I had a great job making good money. Unfortunately, with good money, I bought good drugs and found myself in a hellhole. But I learned later that there was not a day that my mom and my grandmother did not pray for me. I would go to the closet that morning, regardless of if I'd been coked out all night. Steve, when I went to that closet to put my clothes on, I was overwhelmed by that song. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross and found out that every morning at 7 o'clock, my grandmother got up out of bed and prayed for me every single morning at 7 a.m. And every single morning at 7 a.m., I felt overwhelmed by the power of God and the presence of God. Don't give up on your kids. Don't, no matter what's happened, no matter where they're at, again, the potter 
The potter taught us it doesn't matter what mess we make of our life. He can always take our life and remold it, reshape it into something more awesome than we could ever be. So, Sam, go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. So Samuel hears his name again. And Shirley goes back to Eli. And he said, I'm here. What, what, what do you need? And then Eli realizes it's God talking to Samuel. And so Eli says, Samuel, go back to bed. And if you hear your name again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. The point I want to make right there, you could be 12 years old and feel like you're not adequate, feel like you're not significant. But if God would speak to a 12-year-old child in the Old Testament and make him one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, God has a destiny and a purpose for your child. And if you'll keep them in the house of God, around the things of God, God will honor you and God will honor them and God will bless them and speak to them early in life. I feel like that I have been a, um, not, a, not, a not good, but great. I feel like I have been a great dad. I have raised two very healthy daughters on my daughter's wedding night she was a virgin and probably got pregnant on her wedding night my mom got pregnant on her wedding night my sister was born nine months and three days after my parents were married how crazy is that uh you know 70 years ago i don't guess they had birth control i guess that just wasn't something that you did but the point there was a point i was making about the fact that i raised daughters that were healthy in the kingdom of god my daughters never as to this date, never mess with alcohol or drugs. Uh, any, um, um, the way I handled suitors, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, a young man came to my house and put the tailgate down, and he and Christine were sitting on the tailgate talking. They weren't dating. They were just talking. I saw them out there, and the spirit of the dad gene came upon me, and I went in the bedroom, Matt Decker, and I got my 870 Remington shotgun. I opened the door. I went out on the porch. I jacked out a shell, and I gave him the, the, the meanest look I could possibly, the Anton LaVey look, the, the meanest look I could give him. And Christine says, oh, Dad, go back in the house. Oh, Dad, go back. But uh, there never has been any creepy guys hanging around and something else. And I don't know if this is for somebody. Uh, and it, it was not that they didn't want to, but I never allowed my girls to work a job that they missed church Wednesday or Sunday. That was just something that we established. You, you know, if you want a job, you can have a job, but you've got to tell your employer, I can't work Sunday, I can't work Wednesday. Well, I won't get the job. Well, God's got a better job. God will honor that. God will honor that commitment. And so as I look at the life of Samuel, as you look at his life, he turned out to be one of the greatest prophets that God ever used. But God had a portion for him when he was 12 years old. The things of God start earlier in our life. The call is without repentance. When God called you, he knew there'd be a bump in the road. He knew you'd drop the ball, but you're still here trying to do the right thing, and he's still in control wanting you to do the right thing. I think about Joshua. story of Joshua, when they came out of Egypt and headed towards the promised land, the, uh, M Moses sent 12 spies, and you know the story. Two of the spies came back with a report the giants were too big to miss, and the other ten spies said the giants are too big to hit. The ten spies were intimidated. Joshua and Caleb were not. They said, we can take it. We can make it happen. But the ten spies said that we were grasshoppers in the eyes of our enemy, and so we were grasshoppers in our own eyes. The way their enemy saw them is the same way they saw themselves. Don't you dare allow circumstances to disqualify you 
Don't you let circumstances feel like you are not, not all that significant or not all that important. The fact that you're alive today says that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. It's a plan to bless you, to encourage you, and to use you to bless others. Don't ever give up on that. You're not a mistake. I don't, and, and I'll show you in just a moment. Maybe you were born out of wedlock. Maybe you were abandoned as a child. Maybe you had a lousy relationship with your dad or mom or had no relationship with your dad or mom. God still does not disqualify you. God says, I've got great plans for you. And if you'll let me, I'll change things and turn it around in your life as early as you'll allow it. Look at somebody and say, God, have your way in my life. One of 12, Josh. What a, what a cool name, Josh. One of, one of 12. But when Moses would go to the mountain, and Steve, I thought this was interesting. When Moses would go to the mountain and hear the thunder and actually see the presence of God and get the Ten Commandments and all of that, Joshua went up halfway up the mountain. He never went all the way to the top to see the glory, but he was the armor bearer to make sure that Moses was okay. Well, the people are all down in the valley partying and celebrating and having a good time. Moses up on the mountain seeing the face of God, and Joshua is surviving frostbite. I mean, think about it for a minute. He chose not to be with the people to party. He wasn't allowed to go all the way where Moses was, but he was faithful in what he did. And there came a day when Joshua made the statement, choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We quote that. That statement came from Joshua. But when Moses got ready to go be with God, it was not the ten spies that Moses chose one. Moses chose Joshua because he was faithful, he was consistent, and that was the plan that God had for his life. So don't ever feel like you're giving up the party, you're giving up the lifestyle, you're giving up all of that, you're pursuing God, but you feel like there's a, there's a chasm or a, there's, a, there's a gulf or there's a, some kind of, you're not where you want to be with God, don't give up, keep climbing your mountain. Every day get, get higher and higher and higher. When Caleb was 40 years old, he picked out a place, Jackie, that he wanted to live. And he said, I want, that's my mountain. I want that mountain. They wanted for 40 years. But when, Je when Caleb was 80 years of age, he said, 40 years ago, I said, give me my mountain. He said, I'm 80 now. Watch this. I feel just as good today as I felt 40 years ago. I want that mountain. He said, I've got some Geritol. I've got some Keto. I've got... I've got this diet, I've got this energy drink, I've got Red Bulls, I can go and I can defeat my giant. And research says, Steve, there wasn't one giant, there were five giants on that mountain that Caleb had to kill and destroy before he could move into his home. And maybe people say, well, you're, you know, that's, that's a crazy statement that you feel is good today. I'm, I'm uh, just turned 51, I think, and, but I don't feel like I'm 25. I feel like, uh, especially my, my brother, uh, Friday said, hey, you want to go You want to go set some trusses up? I said, sure, I do. So I worked the skill saw, the nail gun, the chainsaw, went back the next day. I was feeling pretty good until Tuesday morning. When I went to get out of bed, Melissa, Tuesday morning, the spirit was headed towards the coffee pot, but the cadaver was not. I was like, I mean, I will not tell you what, air, well, I could tell you technically, the gluteus maximus of my body refused to operate the femur, the tibia, any of that, and I just laid there for a while, go, Man, what in the world is wrong with me? Did I eat Sherry's cooking as she tried to poison me? Or, or what's going on here? Then I realized, oh, I've been doing something I haven't done for a while. Am I going to do it tomorrow? Absolutely not, because I don't like the feeling that I had Tuesday. 
The old gray mare ain't what she used to be. But Caleb, even though he was insignificant, unimportant, we find his name written down where Moses brags on Caleb, God brags on Caleb, and Caleb brags on himself uh, being faithful. What a day that is when your God and your pastor brag on you that you know who you are in Christ and you can brag on yourself. My name is Hank and I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a drug addict. I won't go through the ABCs of what I am, but I am what God's word says that I am. I'm not that person anymore. There's a new name written down in glory. Aren't you glad this morning that God has a new name for you? I, uh, I was with my brother and he gave me a white rock. And he, and he talked about revelation where when you accomplish what God's called you to accomplish, that God's going to write your name down on a, on a white stone. And I took that rock and I gave it to Leah. And I said, Leah, would you write the name angel on that stone? And, and you, it was beautiful. I love her handwriting. She wrote that on there. Well, I presented it to Courtney Wednesday night. And I said, Courtney, angel has received his stone and his name is written on that stone. I want to give you this stone just to remind you that that angel has run the race. He's completed the task. He's finished the course. He's in the presence of God doing whatever God has for him to do. And if I know angel, it's something crazy. It's, there's no telling what they're up to. But I'm here to tell you that God has a nickname for you. God has a pet name for you. And there's going to come a day when you're going to have a white rock gene. Yeah, I don't know if he calls you Gino or Buddy or, or Bubba or whatever. But your name is going to be written down on a rock that only God can call you. And you're going to walk around. If we have pockets, I don't know if my robe will have a pocket or not. But if we have pockets, I'll have that white rock white rock in there to remind me that my whole life God had a pet name for me. He never gave up on me. He never forsook me. He stayed right there with me even when I did dumb things. I think about David. When you look at the story of David, I've got six minutes and I can complete this in six minutes. When you look at the story of David, there's a passage of scripture in the book of Proverbs that alludes to the fact that David may have been an illegitimate child. There's a story there that, that it looks like that David is declaring that he was illegitimate. When Samuel went to the house of Jesse and told Jesse, the next king of Israel is one of your sons. Bring all your sons. And you know the story. Jesse brought the sons, and, Jesse, and, and Samuel stood in front of the tallest, the oldest, all the way down to the youngest, and all the kids were good-looking. He said, "This is a God, is this the one? This is a good-looking kid. God said, no, that's not it. That's when God says, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And is this, no, is it this, no, six times. And, and Samuel was, had a pretty clear word. You saw where God was speaking in his ear. He had a pretty clear word, Kelly, hearing from God. And he said, I know I'm at the right place. I know I'm at the right time. I was at the right place, but it must have been the wrong. Never mind. I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. There's something wrong with this picture. And so Samuel looks at Jesse and asked a dumb question, Melissa, do you have another son? I mean, he told Jesse, bring all your sons. Here's six guys. I mean, that's a lot of kids. I mean, ask Leela. She can tell you all about six kids. And so here they all are, and they're all good-looking kids. And, and do you remember? And, and, so, and so he says, is there? Oh, yes. There's David. There's David. And I believe that was the degrading analogy of what David was to them. David was out in the wilderness taking care of the sheep. You know the story, but taking care of the sheep, David had killed a lion. David had killed a bear. And you know the story. David took bread and cheese to the brothers in battle, and uh, the oldest brother 
picked on David. Do you remember Linda? Picked on him, said, you little punk, what are you doing here? You're, you're, just, a, you're just a bread carrier. That's all you are. And David said, let me tell you something. I was taking care of my dad's sheep. That might not seem important. That not, might seem significant. But while I was taking care of my dad's sheep, a lion roared. I saw a lion on, on Facebook yesterday. And the, the, the mountain lions that were in Israel were lions that could run about 40 miles an hour, could bite, could bite you in two with their jaws if they wanted to. He said, a lion roared against my father's sheep. I was more afraid of my father if I lost the sheep than I was of the lion, so I killed the lion. How cool is that? It would be neat to respect God so much and fear God so much that men cannot intimidate us in any way to have a friend in the house. And he said, and then there was a bear. There was a, there was a bear. I had a bear cough at me about four years ago in a tree stand, and they're nocturnal. I try to get out of the tree stand before dark because I certainly don't want to encounter a bear. I had a bear encounter in Alaska. We had walked back into a chain of lakes that you couldn't get there by vehicle. You had to walk. And uh, we went back to these chain of lakes, and we had a tube, and we got out in the water, and we began to, we begin to fish for virgin trout. Those are trout that are not planted. They're, they're bred there. They live there. Uh, some of these trout have, have never seen a lure. They've never seen a, a, a fisherman. They had no clue what we were, who we were. And we caught a bunch of fish, and we were dragging uh, two, two stringers full of trout. I got all the way to the truck to realize that I had dropped one of the stringers. I went back to the, tra uh, back to the trail. Where I, where I thought I'd drop the fish, and there was a bear track. A bear had been following us, and if I had not dropped that accidentally, that stringer of trout, very good possibility the bear could have eaten us. I mean, I mean, and so when I saw those tracks, and of course I was there doing a conference, and I said, thank you, Lord, for thinking about me. I'm alive and doing fine. Can anybody, can anybody relate? And David said, I killed that bear with my bare hands. And I don't know if he had a knife or, a, or a beat him with a stick or hit him with a slingshot. I don't know what he did. But David had hours and hours and hours and hours of being insignificant. I'm out in the middle of nowhere taking care of my dad's sheep. So Lee, you know what he did? He got him a slingshot and he began to practice. And as an archer began to shoot at 15 yards, 30 yards, and 50 yards, David began to practice that, that stone. And David was so good with that stone. The Bible says when he encountered Goliath, there was one little spot where Goliath's helmet came down right here. There's one little spot right there. David running towards Goliath took that sling, took that stone, and slung it. And he was so good that he hit the lion right between the eyes. I'm sorry, the giant right between the eyes. Now, the stone didn't kill Goliath. It knocked him out. So David went over and took the, king, the giant sword and cut his head off. But for days, weeks, months, years, he was in the wilderness taking care of his father's sheep. He did two things. He perfected the harp and he perfected the sling. And that's you and I. We are warriors and we are worshipers. There's an enemy that wants to disqualify you, discredit you. But when you begin to declare to the enemy what the word says about you, the enemy cannot stand his ground. He cannot survive. He has to flee. Aren't you glad this morning that we have that over the enemy? insignificant, a bunch of slaves, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were slaves. They refused to eat the king's meat. They refused to drink the king's wine. At the time of testing, they were ten times better than everybody else. But when the storm came, those three guys said, we won't bow, we'll burn, we're not going to worship your God, your image. We have a God that we worship, we serve. They went into the fiery furnace. They did not burn. The smell of smoke did not get in their clothes. The ones that put them in the furnace was overwhelmed by the heat and fell down dead. 
but not those three sons. And when the king looked and said, did we not throw three in there? We did. Well, I see the fourth, and he says, the son of God. Don't you know today that any fiery furnace the enemy puts you in, you're not alone. You're not on your own. But God said, I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you even to the end of the world. Any storm that comes your way, any attack that comes your way, he's right there with you. Hello. He's got your side. He's got your part. And he makes up the difference. In conclusion, only because I said I would at noon, you could look at Gideon. You could look at Abraham. You could look at Moses. You could look at that word. That must be uh, me writing in tongues again in the office. I want to make one point. Ready? Your destiny is in your donkey. Just doing the right thing over and over and over again. Being patient, being faithful, being consistent. As Saul did whatever it took to find his dad's donkeys. And God found them for him and put him in a safe place. But God used the donkeys to draw Saul to the man of God. Whether you're a single mom, whether you're divorced, whether you broke the law, you served time in prison, none of that matters. God knows exactly where you are. And as you begin to pursue the right things and do the right things, God is going to allow you to see your destiny. Can we pray? We thank you for this day. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the 